0: How's everybody doing? Man, it's just good to be right here. (laughs) I feel like I'm coming home today. I've spent the last two weeks uh, teaching at camps, uh, one in New York and um, one in Muskegon. And I don't know. It just, I don't think they knew what to do with me. I don't don't fit that. (laughs) And um, so it's really good to be back here. You guys doing well? Having a good summer? Good. All right, um, let's stand for the reading of God's Word. Isaiah 61. I'm going to read uh, the first four verses and the last verse because we're going to look at primarily verse 3 and verse 11. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, to release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of the spirit of despair, They will be called Oaks of Righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. In verse 11, for the soil makes the sprout come up, and a garden causes seeds to grow. So the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. (laughs) Amen. 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 You may be seated. Well, if you were here last time, uh, we realized that this text is about jubilee. And jubilee is a principle rooted in the Old Testament where every 50 years, the slaves are set free, and everybody returned to the land that was originally theirs. And that's why Jubilee is good news to who? The poor. And Jesus stood up and made Isaiah 61 his mission statement I came to proclaim good news to the poor. And what we oftentimes do with this is, yes, we quickly run Isaiah 61 to Jesus and we spiritualize it and we say, yeah, that's for the spiritually poor. Yes, it is. But it's also for the poor. And that's why Luke has his version of the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, where he differs from Matthew. Matthew says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And and Luke just says, blessed are the poor. And instead of blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, he just says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst. And so it's both. And I'm going to tell you something. If you don't understand, apart from God, that you are poor, the poorest of the poor, I will tell you, the gospel will never move you. It'll never thrill you. It'll never bring you to tears like it does to the poor. They love it. All right, so now we come to verse 3 today. And we have this powerful, powerful image of an oak tree. And then when you get down to verse 11 it's combined with this image of a garden. Now, what I want to say here at the outset is this, that the Bible gives us more than just propositions. The Bible is full of pictures. And I think sometimes for us as Westerners, it's difficult for us to see the pictures because we think in terms of the proposition. We, we love the logic of the text. And Like a scientist in a laboratory, we like to almost place the Bible in a test tube. And we study it so we can understand it, so we can have it all figured out. But the people in that part of the world, they think in terms of the pictures and the images. Because to them, it's the picture that communicates. I mean, just think about it. Proposition. God loves you picture father waiting on the porch sees you off in the distance and he runs with all his might that's the picture and this is why jesus oftentimes spoke in picture and see if we can't see the picture we're going to miss a lot of what the Bible's trying to teach us so in isaiah 61 God gives us this picture, this image of this oak tree. Now, why this image and not another? And what is it about this image that is significant? What does it mean and how do we apply it? Now, there's one textual clarification I want to make at the outset because most of our Bibles say oak. Does anybody else have a Bible that translates it differently? Let me just say this, in the original language, the word simply means tree, actually more preferably strong tree, or sometimes a plank or a pillar, such as the planks or pillars in the temple. In fact, there's a whole other word for, for oak in the Bible, but nowhere else in your Bible does it translate this word oak. It's always translated either tree, beam, or pillar. Now, here's what I think the Bible wants us to see with this image. It's not the kind of tree, or even if it's a big tree or a small tree, but rather that this is a tree that's planted by the Lord's hand, and it's a tree, therefore, of righteousness, and it's the righteousness of this tree that makes this tree strong, a pillar. Now, remember... Isaiah starts his whole book dealing with this issue of righteousness. And he says, God is upset with, with you because you're sick. You're spiritual, spiritually sick. And their sickness is because they lack righteousness. But here's the deal. They don't think they're sick. They think they're righteous. Righteous. Because when you read Isaiah 1, they go to church, they pray, they fast, they have this this relationship going on really well with God, but God says, yes you do, but you're sick because you don't have this relationship going on with each other and the world. In fact, that relationship is all messed up. And so God is upset. In fact, Isaiah tells them in chapter one that you've become Sodom. <laughs> Imagine if God just declared that about us this morning. You're like Sodom to me. Well, what's the sin of Sodom? Well, we've developed terms from Sodom, which I don't need to go into. And so we certainly know the sin of Sodom was, was sexual perversion. but The Bible tells us that it's more than that. In fact, their sin is deeper than that. There's a sin underneath the sin. Because in Genesis 18, when God comes to Abraham and tells Abraham what he is about to do to Sodom, that he's going to destroy it because of all its wickedness, this is how God puts it. He says, their sin is so great. Because their outcry has reached my ears. And it's so great that I literally have to go down to see if it's really that bad. And see, in Hebrew, that word outcry is the Hebrew word za'akah. It's used throughout the Bible. It's the loud, pathetic cries of the oppressed. And what God says over and over again Whenever I hear that cry, whenever it comes to my ears, he says, I burn with anger. And it's because God burns with compassion for the least of these. In fact, in Ezekiel, it says, now this was the sin of your sister Sodom. She was arrogant. She was overfed. She was unconcerned for the poor and the needy. And look at God's heart. Even in our text today, his gospel is for the poor. Messiah is sent to the brokenhearted. Messiah delivers captives and prisoners. Messiah comes to comfort the downcast. And see a little bit later than in Isaiah in chapter 5, verse 7, this is what uh, Isaiah says. He says, the vineyard or the tree of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel. And the people of Judah are the vines he delighted in. He looked for justice, but all he saw was bloodshed. He looked for tzedakah, righteousness, but all he heard was Zeakah the cries of the oppressed. Righteousness has a lot more to do than our relationship with God. Righteousness has a lot to do with how we respond to the cries of the oppressed. I wonder what God would say about us. I wonder what he would say about his church today. Do we hear them? Do we even know they exist? And what are we doing? See, here's the picture. have to see this picture. Israel is to be this tree, this vine, this tree that's planted by the Lord in the garden of God's delight. Can you see that? Because this is the picture that God uses to cosmically explain what he's been doing in our world ever since creation. God is a gardener. He plants gardens. And this is what he does. He moves into the chaos. He brings shalom by planting gardens. That's why, look at verse 11. For as the soil makes the sprout come up, and a garden causes seeds to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. (laughs) See, in the garden, in Hebrew, it's the word gan. It's the environment in which the kingdom is planted. So it's more than just this piece of real estate or this space, but the gan is God's people. It's a people who are called out of darkness, out of chaos, and we are called to be the garden of the Lord. We are called to be shalom to a world that's in chaos. That's the picture. Now, I don't know about you, but I love this picture because when I plug it into the biblical story, I think about, all right, what's the first garden? What's the first gone? It's gone Eden. Eden came out of what? chaos. The Bible wants us to see that. So when God creates the world, what he's doing is he is unleashing his rule. He's unleashing the kingdom of God upon that chaos, and he's replacing it with shalom. Then what what does he do? He plants a garden, and he puts a tree in the center of that garden. Why? Why? Because that world still needs the garden, and it still needs the tree. The tree is the tree of life, which represents the awesome reality of God and his presence providing life for the world. That tree is the life source. It's the power source. It's what makes that garden a paradise. Because without that tree, without that garden, the world will go back into chaos. That's the picture. And the garden, as I said, is more than a place. It's God's people in God's place, connected to the power source, the tree of life, abiding in him, living under God's rule, and enjoying God's presence. Why? So we can just sit around and wait until... so that we can bring God's rule, God's reign... God's kingdom, God's presence, to bear on the world. And that's why I love the fact that this church is ninety ten. 10 We don't exist for this. We exist for that out there. Don't affect what God says to Adam and Eve. Here's my creation. (laughs) Here's, Here's the world that I've made. I want you to rule it. I want you to subdue it. I want you to explore it. I want you to cultivate it. I want you to enjoy it. God is saying, I have entrusted everything that I have made to you. And see, this is why we've been made. And this is our grand purpose in the world do you know that because i love how genesis 41 41 talks about joseph talks about joseph's place in, in the egyptian empire and uh, this is what it says so pharaoh said to joseph I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. And then Pharaoh took, his signet, took off his signet ring and put his finger from his finger, and he put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen. He put a gold chain around his neck. He had him ride in a chariot as his second in command. And when the people saw him, they shouted before him, Make way. Thus he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, but without your word no one will lift a hand or foot in all of Egypt. And Pharaoh gave Joseph the name Zephaniah Paniah, which means the Lord is near and the Lord Lordness listens. And see when a Jew reads that text, do you know what they say? That's more than Joseph. That's who we are. That's our place in the universe. And that's why David, when he says in Psalm 8, I look at the stars and the things that you have created and I think, who am I in light of such an awesome God who created all that? He says, you have put everything under my feet. All creation. And you've crowned me with glory and honor. And see, when we understand this, this ought to breathe massive purpose into our life. And it just kills me today when I see our youth, who for a large part are growing up today with no sense of purpose. We haven't breathed this massive purpose into their lives. And so now their life is summed up by their, their CD collection or the clothes that they wear or their report card or if they can throw a ball in the hoop. Do your kids know why they are here? Do you right now know why you are here? We are here to partner with God to bring shalom to chaos. That's why Libby and I, we have this running conversation. There is not a day that goes by where we don't ask, are we bringing shalom or are we bringing chaos? Of course, a lot of that conversation is our kids. (laughs) Are you bringing shalom or chaos to this family right now? (laughs) Rod, are you bringing shalom or chaos to this marriage? Family, are we bringing shalom or chaos to our neighborhood? With Adam and Eve, God gave one important stipulation. As he gave them this massive purpose and calling in the world, he tells Adam and Eve, you know what, you can't just tend my garden any way you want. You're to be my tenants. You are not the owner. I am the owner. And you are to care for my world by my word and for my glory. Not your glory, not according to your word, according to my word and for my glory. And see what we know when we read the biblical story is that Adam and Eve failed at this because they refused to be tenants. They insisted on being owners. Adam and Eve therefore lost the tree. They got disconnected from God They got kicked out of the garden, and the world fell back into chaos. The gospel is that God doesn't give up on the world. Because what God does is he plants another garden. And there are two texts in the Old Testament that I'd like you to see. The first is Psalm 80. And starting at verse 8, it says, You, referring to God, God, you transplanted a vine from Egypt, you drove out the nations and you planted it. You cleared a ground for this tree, and this tree took root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. Its branches reached as far as the great sea, it shoots as far as the river. Here's the picture again. God takes a people for himself. He removes them from Egypt, from chaos, God says, I planted you. He gives them everything. He gives them houses. He gives them cities. He gives them vineyards. He gives them the land, and he places this vine. He plants this tree in another garden, the promised land, and he walks with them. He dwells with them. He puts his name on them, and again, we need to ask why, for what purpose, just so they can enjoy God and enjoy the garden, the promised land that God's given them? No, look at verse 9. You cleared the ground for it. It took root, it filled the land, and the mountains were covered with its shade, even the mighty cedars with its branches. See, what you have here is this tree that grows and literally covers the mountainside because God is planting this vine or this tree so it can provide covering, not just for the people of Israel, but for all people through the people of Israel. You're to be shade. And we've talked about this before. Shade is one of those powerful biblical images or metaphors about God And who God is. Psalm 121 says, God is shade. God says, I'm the shade at your right hand. Meaning this, that when life is overwhelming, as it is for some of you right now, when you think you can't take another step, God says, I'm the shade at your right hand. I don't care what you're going through right now. I am no further away from you than as far as you can reach, and that's how much shade I will be to you. I will be just enough shade. And I would like to think that this morning, there are people who could stand up and give testimony to the ways that God has been shade. And this is what God says to his people. He says, as you experience my shade, I want you to make it your mission to provide God's shade to a world in chaos. How are you using your shade? How are we using our shelter? We have so much shelter in here right now. And then we go home, and we go to the most wonderful shelters in the world. How are we using our shelter? Is it just for us? So we can just wait around and go to heaven? Or are we using the awesome shelter that God has given to us to bring shalom to people In chaos. There is a world out there that has no shade. People who have no shelter. The second text is Isaiah 5 that I want to show you, and that's, I love the, the, the intimacy of this text. Because God says this, this is God speaking, I will sing for the one I love. I will sing for my beloved, a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside and he dug it up and he cleared it of stones and he planted it with the choices of vines and he built a watchtower in it and cut out the winepress as well. And then he looked for a crop. Of good grapes, but it only yielded bad fruit. In verse 4, what more could have been done for my vineyard, for my tree? When I looked for good grapes, why did it yield, in the literal Hebrew, only worthless ones? Now you probably aren't imagining that much when you read a text like that, but because I spent four months in Israel, I saw this image every single day. I mean, living in Jerusalem, everywhere you look, you see this picture or remnants of it because it covers the hills of Israel. And I'll just show you a few pictures so you can maybe see Isaiah 5 in picture form. not very bright, is it? I, I have to say it's all my fault and at the same time a little bit frustrating, but Brad's turned the lights off so maybe you can see a little bit better. Is that a little bit better? Ah, you can't see it. Anyway, what you have are these terraced hillsides. To the right, you have one that is not kept up. It's just completely crumbled. Give me the next one. It'll be a little closer. Can you see it now? That's what the hills of Jerusalem look like. That's one that's kept up. And see, what you're looking at is a gon. Each one of those terraces is a gon, a garden. So when the Bible speaks of garden, this is what it is. I don't know if that's what you picture, uh, but that is the Bible's picture, and uh, let me see one more. You can just see more of these. I think you can see little Bennett in that picture. He's standing on one of these little terraces, and again, there are things growing. Uh, Give me one more. This right here is an actual gone, and there you see the vine and the vineyard. So here's what happened. Because I think this gets really personal. Each terrace there that you see represents one family farm. So when God's people took possession of the land, the mountains were covered with these terraces, and they distributed this land. And those, those terraces that you see there are what is called in the Bible the ancient markers or the boundary lines. And each family would get just one of those things. Now, When we think land, I think we think real estate, but land in the Bible is everything God has entrusted to you. It's your talent. It's your time. It's your possessions. It's your intelligence. It's your sexuality. Everything that God has given to you for you to steward for him. And I love this because the psalmist somewhere says, my boundary lines have fallen in pleasant places. What he is referring to when he says that is, I just love what God has entrusted to me. Can you say that today? Oh, God, thank you. I love my boundary lines. See, and then in Proverbs, it says, don't move the ancient markers. And see, when you look at one of those gons, I mean, that gon at the end of the day is only good as its wall. Because what that wall does is it keeps the topsoil in place. So if one wall begins to decay, it's only a matter of time before the whole vineyard is at risk. Now to me, that's a powerful picture of what's going on in our country. Because America today is a crumbling hillside. But the question we need to ask is this, and we need to ask it of ourselves and one another, is, well, how's your terrace? How's your gone? Do you have some rich topsoil there? How's your wall? Are your stones falling out? Because here's the deal. We can't save the world, but what we can do is each of us can take care of our gone, and we can help our neighbors take care of theirs. And in so doing, we become a garden. A garden that provides shalom to people in chaos. In fact, I love how this is said in Isaiah 58. Jesus says, uh, or God says this to Isaiah. He says, He says, if you do away with the yoke, of oppression, and with the pointing finger and the malicious talk. And then verse 10, If you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, if you do these things, your light will rise in the darkness, and your night will become like the noonday. And the Lord will guide you always, and he will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land. And he will strengthen your frame, and you will be like a well-watered garden, a gun, a spring whose waters never fail. And your people will rebuild the ancient ruins. They will raise up the age old foundations. And they will be called the repair of broken walls, the restorer of streets with dwellings. Does that describe us? Are we the repair of broken walls? Are we the restorer of things ruined? See, this is where Israel failed. Israel failed to be the God. And see, their failure was not so much in their relationship with God. They had it going on with God. God in me, me and God. That was working. Where they failed was in their relationship to the world. In fact, look at how God puts this in Isaiah chapter 5 about his tree that he plants. In verse 7 he says, the vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel. They're the tree. And the people of Judah are the garden he delighted in. He looked for justice. But all he saw was bloodshed. He looked. For Tzedekah. And all he heard was Zechah. And then look at verse 8. Woe to you who add house to house and join field to field. You didn't respect the boundary markers. Remember Jubilee? See, at the heart of Jubilee, what God says is this. He says, the land is mine. You're just a tenant. And what Jubilee did is it protected people from amassing large estates because 50 years later, they had to give it all back. But here they are, adding house and house and cottage and field to field to field. More, more. More. In fact, this is an age old problem that goes all the way back to Eden. We refuse to be tenants. We insist on being owners because the nature of the human heart is to act like an owner and not a tenant. This is my life. This is my body. This is my mind. These are my talents. This is my money. These are my kids. These are my possessions. These are my rights. Mine, mine, mine. And in this obsession with ourselves, it's all about getting more, becoming big, and make it to the top. And then if you're Christian, let's sprinkle a little of Jesus on that. We will never be a light to the nations, a city set on a hill. We will never be shalom to chaos. Remember Jonah? Hey, Jonah, would you stand in the gap for a wicked Nineveh? No. Finally, God gets him there, and here's Jonah after preaching repentance, and the people repent. He's building this sukkot, this tent that he makes for himself so he can have some shade. I need shade so I can be comfortable, says Jonah. And he sits out there, and he's just waiting for the wrath of God to come down on Nineveh. And you know what? God should have probably spanked Jonah there. But he didn't. Instead, he gives God or Jonah this picture Causes a vine to grow, even providing more shade to Jonah's shade. Why a vine? Because God is reminding Jonah, Jonah, this is your calling in the world. You see this vine? You are called to be this vine. You are called to be shade, even to wicked places like Nineveh. It's not just about us, but it's for us, to the world. Think about it. The God of the universe, he blesses us. He bends the knee to us, the king of the universe. And he makes himself small, so small, so we can be great. so we can just wait around and go to heaven, so we can bend our knee and make ourselves small so we can bless the world. Imagine if we lived that every single day. Every Christian living that every single day. At some point, God's patience runs out when his people fail at this. And that's why he will remove the vine and the world then reverts into chaos. In Isaiah 5, God says, I will remove its hedge. It will be consumed. I will break down its wall. It will be trampled ground. I will lay that tree to waste. Praise God, he doesn't give up on his people, that he doesn't give up on this world. Listen to just a few words from Isaiah 11, and this this kind of language is found all over the Old Testament. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From its roots a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might the spirit of the knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. With righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with, it, with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. And righteousness will be his belt, faithfulness the sash around his waist, and they will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea Isaiah says in spite of all your failures Israel there will be a branch another tree a vine that's why when Jesus shows up he's talking all the time about trees and vines and seed and soil but my favorite is John 15 when he says this He says, I'm the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. And see, with those little words, Jesus is saying, do you see the picture? God, again, is planting a garden, and he's planting not just a tree, but the true tree, the true vine. And what is it that this tree came to do? Now look at Isaiah 61, verse 3 to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. <laughs> Has he done that to you? I don't know what you see when you consider yourself. I don't know what you See when you look at the world. Whether you accept this or not, I feel like those those descriptions in Isaiah 61, verse 3, perfectly describe our world. Our world is ashes, our world is going to ashes, our world is downcast. Our world right now is in despair. And let's make it more personal than that. Left to our own, these three words describe our reality. Our life is ashes. Our life is grief. Our life is despair. See, and if you don't see this... don't know what planet you're living on but the gospel and only the gospel promises the hope that's found in this word instead because what Christ comes to do is he takes our ashes he exchanges them for a crown of beauty he takes our mourning and exchanges our mourning with real joy Because what the gospel is, is Jesus saying this. I'll give you what I have. You give me what you have. And you ask yourself, how does he do this? How is he able to do this? Well, remember in Luke 4, when he stands up and launches his ministry by reading from Isaiah 61, not only does he add Isaiah 58, verse 6 in there to say, okay, my mission is also all about Isaiah 58, but he also does something else. He is sneaky and brilliant at the same time, he leaves out a clause, he just stops right in the middle of a sentence. You know what clause it is? The day of vengeance of our God. Why? Two reasons. First of all, because right now, Jesus says, I came to bring jubilee. It's jubilee, not judgment, not God's wrath. That's going to be when I come again. But even more than that, he's saying, that's on me. The day of vengeance of our Lord, that's placed on me. See, the all-beautiful one, glorious one, became ugly. So ugly that Isaiah will say later that men literally had to turn from him and hide their faces. Why? Because he got our ashes so that we could have his beauty. And why is he a man of sorrows? Because he took our tears. He took our despair. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So we could have his joy and his shalom. See, unless the seed falls into the ground, it remains alone. But if the seed falls in the ground and dies, it bears much fruit. Jesus is the seed. He's planted in God's garden and what he produces is what we lost in Eden. The tree of life that brings shalom to chaos not just for you but for you and through you to the world. And that seed produced a tree. A pillar. A beam. And that cross right now stands in the center of the world. And right now, if you want your life reconnected to God, if you want the life of God, if you want the presence of God, if you want the kingdom of God, and the power of God, and the healing of God, and the salvation of God, it's in the tree. And here's where we come with our chaos. Here's where we come with our ashes. Here's where we come with our tears. Here's where we come with our despair. And we exchange it for his beauty and his spirit and his joy. And when we do, we become a strong tree, a planting of the Lord. Are you planted in him right now are you full of life today joy abundant life praise eight times jesus says in john 15 abide in me abide in my See, we don't just know about him. We literally place ourselves in him. We place our life in him. And I know what some of you are thinking right now. Well, what does that mean if I literally place my life in him? Does that mean I got to give all this stuff up? Does that mean I can't have sex with my girlfriend anymore? Does that mean I need to really live selflessly? I love what C.S. Lewis says. He says the Christian way is different. It's both harder and easier. Because Christ says, give me all. I don't want your time. I don't want your money. I don't want your works. So much as I want you. I have not even come to torment your ordinary self. I've come to kill it. No half measures. Hand over the whole ordinary self, both the things that you think are innocent and the ones you think are wicked. Give me the whole you, and I will give you a new self instead. In fact, I'll give you myself. And so to be a Christian is not to know all about him and get him all figured out. It's to see the picture and to place ourselves in the vine where we give up ourselves and living for ourselves, where we give up the right to call the shots, to be the own, our own masters, where we throw ourselves in him and where we die. Because unless the grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it will remain alone. Are you an oak of righteousness today? Is he the air you breathe? Are you bringing shalom to chaos? Let's pray. God, we just bless you for blessing us. I can't believe right now that the God of the universe is bending his knee to me, to bless me, to exalt me, to change me, to transform me. And God, that's why, not because I have to, I want to bend my knee to you and place my life in you and throw myself into you because you are life. And I just pray this morning, God, that you would be working on hearts and that you would be applying this picture and this text to hearts and that there would be response today led by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name.